Okay. I think our youth's taking off. Get out of here. Love you guys. When you read the book of Acts, if you read the story of the early church, man, everybody left. I'm going to scoot up, everybody. My goodness. Some empty patch right in here. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I think it's great. I'm not bemoaning we have a lot of youth that just left. Trust me. When you read the story of the account of the early church, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. And one of the things I find really interesting is that you have all these stories of people coming to faith in Jesus and then immediately get, getting baptized. You ever notice that? Like there's the, um, the Philippian jailer who comes to faith in Jesus and gets baptized, and his whole family gets baptized. Everybody's just underwater. You have the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and all these different stories of conversion, just like moment conversion, and then they get baptized right away. But if you were to uh, read a little bit about how the church grew, especially in the second and third century, there was less and less these moments of conversion and then a quick baptism, and there was just more of this like careful journey, like this careful, um, the church was being careful. Let's just put it that way. And they were being careful, not because it was a different message that people were coming to understand about who Jesus was, but it was a different situation in which people came to, to um, live out their faith. Remember, it was the Roman Empire. Um, as the way of Jesus grew, it became more and more suspect in the eyes of the state. And so what would happen is, um, if someone was interested in this whole idea of who Jesus was, um, and usually it was because of a friendship they had with someone who was in the church, the underground church, so they would uh, strike up a conversation. And then there would be kind of a, a, a time period of like, okay, is this person legit or not? Because there were many infiltrators in the church, people from the Roman uh, state that were trying to infiltrate these underground house churches and to expose them. And so what the church leaders of the day did, and these are a number of different church leaders, Justin Martyr, Basil of Caesarea, uh, John Christostom, all these church leaders did is they came up with something called a catechumenate. You ever heard of the word catechism? Anybody grow up in the Episcopal Church or the Catholic Church? I mean, I, did, I went to catechism. But this is from that same word, catecheo, which is a teaching um, and, and practicing. And, and they came up with this idea, something called the catechumenate, where people would enter the catechumenate, become catechumens, and they would, they would start this journey of learning what it was to follow Jesus. And they would do it with the person that um, kind of, in a sense, uh, shared with them the message of Jesus. So this person would sponsor them. Now, if any of you have ever been involved with uh, AA, 
Um, you're encouraged to have a sponsor, someone to walk with you on your journey of recovery. And so that's what would happen in the early church. There were sponsors and catechumens, and they would, they would attend teachings together, and they would practice. They would, they would learn from their sponsor how to live this faith in following Jesus in a world that was full of a bunch of gods to worship. And so they would do things in a, in a different way. It was called the third way. The first way for many people was the Jewish way. That was something they were used to, and that was a very uh, separate kind of way of living. And then there was the Roman way, which was this buffet of gods to worship and to go to for whatever your needs were. Now, could it be, just asking the question, could it be that we are entering a period in Western history where Christians will no longer be able to enjoy and rely on the favor and the popularity of Christianity, and we no longer will uh, be able to um, rely on this whole idea of being a part of the dominant culture? And because of that, I don't think, I think we are entering that. And because of that, I believe we have much to learn from the early Christians who lived before kind of this idea of Christendom, right? Of, 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 of a Christ-centered state being the case. They couldn't rely on the kinds of cultural props that make Christianity normal and natural um, and convenient. They had to choose for Christ. They had to live with conviction, and they had to count the cost of what that living meant. And, of course, there was probably back then as there were today, there were people that just claimed to be Christian and all that kind of stuff. But on the whole, I think that Christians live, living in the first few centuries were serious about apprenticing Jesus because they had to be. And I'm more and more convinced that following Jesus is not just praying a prayer and then going about your life however you seem fit or I seem fit. But I believe that, that salvation is actually becoming bigger and richer in my mind. It's about healing. It's about transformation. It's about uh, much more than just, um, like we've said in the past, a ticket to heaven. And I believe salvation is healing, and I think that you and me are encouraged to continue to, as the New Testament writer Paul says, to continue to work out our salvation, to work out what this healing means for us in our lives. So when the essence of the good news is kind of stripped down to just kind of like an afterlife and a, and a personal decision of faith, it's not what Jesus described as uh, good news about the kingdom of God. So what I want to encourage us to do is, is wrestle a little bit with our current moment. Because let's be honest, things are crazy. People are angry. There's a lot of fear, disillusionment, discouragement. Um, in fact, you may be feeling that really deeply in your life. Now, we've said in the past, and we'll continue to say again and again as we move forward, is that you and I are all being, we're all being formed. Unintentionally, you and I are all being formed. You're being formed by 
maybe the scripts, um, the things you've thought about yourself, people have said to you in your life in the past that are still driving you. It might be something that someone said to you and, and you're like, I'm going to prove them wrong. That's formed you. You may be formed by the podcasts that you listen to, the news you digest. You may be formed by uh, the friends in your life and uh, the way they spend their money and the way they live their life for experiences. We're all being formed. Unintentionally, we're all being formed. Some of us, we recognize that we're trying to reform, we're trying to have intentional formation in our life, but um, there's a way of life in our world, in our city, that we're being formed by. It's a current. And we're actually also being formed by a pace of life that's pretty intense. We live with a low-level hum of anxiety in our lives. And if you're like me, um, I tend to drown out that anxiety with more noise. Um, there's rarely a time when I'm not listening to something. And then when I'm not listening to something, there's a lot of noise in here. And we, we try to escape, I, I think, a lot of pain and anxiety in our own lives by consuming media. Uh, by consu consuming food, maybe alcohol, maybe incessantly scrolling. Because inside of us, let's just be really honest, there's a lot of turmoil. May not be a big amount, maybe a small amount. Rich uh, Veloitas wrote a book called The Deeply Formed Life, which I would encourage. If any of this today causes you to stir... He says, our world continues on faster and busier. And we are reminded that our souls were not created for the kind of speed to which we have grown accustomed. Thus, we are a people who are out of rhythm, a people, who, uh, a people with too much to do and not enough time to do it. So I'm just going to kind of set this up a bit. And I think hopefully... Um, uh, you'll understand a little bit where we're going today. Um, another author named Robert Sarah wrote this, and this is a longer one, and it's pretty heavy. He says, modern society can no longer do without the dictatorship of noise. It lulls us in an illusion of cheap democracy while snatching our freedom away with subtle, subtle violence of the devil, the father of lies. Without noise, postmodern man falls into a dull, ins insistent uneasiness. He is accustomed to permanent background noise, which sickens yet reassures him. That's me right there. Noise gives him security, like a drug on which he has become dependent. With its festive appearance, noise is a whirlwind that avoids facing itself. Agitation becomes a tranquilizer, a sedative, a morphine pump. But noise is a dangerous, deceptive medicine, a diabolical lie that helps man avoid confronting himself in his interior emptiness. The awakening will necessarily be brutal. You're like, Ryan, this is another one of those depressing starts 
to a teaching. And uh, I'm, I'm just hoping to, to awaken you to the idea that you and I live in a body of fear. Fear of the future, fear of our past coming up again, fear of losing any control, fear of the other, fear uh, for our nation, fear of facing who we actually are. And I've been learning over this last journey in my life to pay attention to my fears. I shared, Angela and I spent some time this morning over coffee and I shared some fears. And the reason why I'm learning to do that is because I tend to operate out of fears. Keeping fears to the side. Um, But where we're going today is I'm going to ask a simple question. What if the people of God were a people of calm presence? What if the people of God, those who make their home in God and God makes their home in them, these people who are called to be the ambassadors of the good news, what if we as individuals and as a community were an outpost of peace in a world of frothing rage and anger and division and retribution? What if, what if people, much like those early followers of Jesus, lived in such a way that the people in their life asked why? Why aren't you freaking out? Why aren't you hoarding money? Why aren't you on and on and on? And we're in this series called The Way of Tove. And it's, um, just to recap, this word tov is, is the Hebrew word that we translate as good, but it means much more than good. We believe that God is a God of tov, a God of goodness. And the Hebrew word tov, I'm going to just throw this on the screen, does not mean merely pleasant or pleasurable. It means capable of, presently engaged in the process of, and destined for completely fulfilling the divine purpose for which it was created, meaning you and me were created good in the sense that God, when he created creation, when he came to humankind, he said, this is very good, meaning this is functional, this is how it should be. Obviously, we know that story changed. It changed uh, as uh, we rebelled and we decided to take things into our own hands. But our original intent of God for human beings was goodness, was functioning, was we were operating how we should. And we were created to be at peace with ourselves. We were created to be at peace with others. We were created to be at peace with creation and with God in right relationship. Now, you're sitting here today and you're like, man, what would I give to be at peace with myself I mean, that's a difficult one to wrestle with. Some of us have, um, you know, regrets and we're, we're mad at ourselves for something we've said, done, thought. Um, and and what, if, what if you were in the room like, I would give anything to be at peace with these people in my life. I would give anything to be at peace, like to see things work around me how they're supposed to. And some of you are like, I, I would give anything to feel like I was at peace with God right now. 
Jesus' vision of the church is a community of peace, a community that lives out of a deep place of quiet in God. And so today, I want to just go through some New Testament passages, some, some words of Jesus even, um, to kind of gear our hearts around what this looks like. Because the way of Jesus, um, some scholars, some people who don't even uh, trust that Jesus was Messiah and, and, and trust that Jesus was God, they see him and they go, this guy was the most non-anxious, calm presence in history. He walked, he taught, he healed. And most of Jesus' commands to his followers are do not fear. Do not be afraid. Matthew 6 is this passage that Jaden read. I'm just going to read a brief part of it. He says, so do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew 24, he has this moment. He's gathered his uh, 12, and he's, he's approaching his, um, his moment on the cross. And he says this, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but listen to what he says but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are, are the beginning of birth pains. He's basically saying, stay at anchor. Stay at anchor. John 14, 7, that was a weird sound. John 14, 7, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give uh, to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. All throughout the New Testament, the writers of, of these letters to the churches, what do they start out at? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In all the letters. Central to the atonement of Jesus, central to the work of Jesus on the cross is this idea that Jesus made peace on the cross. And then central to the writings of the letters in the New Testament about being the people of peace, people being in right relationship are all the one another's, right? Love one another, forgive one another, bear with each other. It's about peace. This is who we're meant to be. This is Tov. And the troubling reality, I think, for many of us is that we can be really committed to being Christians without ever being deeply formed by Christ in this part of our life. Is that my phone or somebody's phone? Your phone. It sounded like my phone. We are warned in scripture about not being slave to fear. We are told that perfect love drives out fear. And here's what I've noticed about me. When I fear, when I worry, I block the flow of God through me to the world. It's just a block. And so when you look back to Genesis 
And there's this tree in the middle of the garden. And it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of Tov and Ra. Ra creates fear. Creates chaos. So what does this all mean for us? Where am I even going with this? The goal, I think, to be the way of Tov is to, uh, Tov is to be a people of peace, an outpost of peace in a land of fear. And how do we do this? What kind of practice is there? What kind of catechumenate is there for us? Do we just try harder to be more peaceful? Do we just try to push that fear out of us? What's interesting is I think Jesus gives us the practice if we pay attention to his life. There's a passage in Luke 5 um, where Jesus heals uh, a man with leprosy, and then it says, there's this curious line that says, and so many people come from all over the place to bring healing people, uh, sick people to Jesus, and he healed many. But then he sa- it says this in Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus had all this to do. <laughs> he had all this to, to teach and to show up to and do, But he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Lonely places is the Greek word, the the aremas. And it could be translated the wilderness. We know that Jesus frequented the wilderness. It, It can be translated a quiet place, a lonely place. But it's a place where Jesus was not attached to, to all the things in, around him, all the anxiety around him. It's a place for us, actually. A place we're, where all our modern attachments are pushed away. The things that we think we need are pulled away from us. It's a place where our souls can be laid bare and before the loving gaze of God, like to us. Mark 135 is another passage. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Matthew 14, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat, privately, to a solitary place. It seems to be that throughout the teaching, if you were to read the Gospels, read these accounts of Jesus, it's almost like the downbeat of Jesus' life rhythm is solitude. It's, it's, it's part of the rhythm of his life. So what are these possible places for us? Some of you might be early morning people and you like to get up and fix, your, fix yourself a nice cup of coffee and be in the quiet. If you haven't done that, I highly suggest you try. Some of you like to go for a walk. Some of you like to uh, just be alone in the park or maybe go on a hike. Or Some of you are like, I just like five minutes by myself in a locked bathroom. <laughs> Was that not the most amazing thing that just happened? <laughs> the point is, 
And here's some of you are, are probably talking to me in your head right now. Ryan, I have three kids. Ryan, <laughs> there is no moment for peace. I get that. You're in, you're in that place. But the goal is to let Jesus build a place of peace and calm inside of you. It's not going to happen by trying hard. It's not going to happen by reading more. It's not going to happen by like massive tons of self-effort. And some of you are sitting here going, this sounds so boring and really hard. And I will say yes to both of those. I want you to just picture for a moment trying to spend 10, 20 minutes, 30 minutes in quiet. How difficult that is to do. And if you've never tried, I would, I would encourage you to try. Not so that I can tell you you, you, you can't do it, you're a failure. <laughs> um, because we are so bombarded with activity in our minds and in our hearts that it really takes time to develop this. Think of boredom, boredom during times of silence as, as an act of, like the early desert fathers would say, it's an act of purification. It's an act of purification in us. In this totally uneventful moment that you feel like you're not making any progress or accomplishing anything, God begins to purify you of this false God of good feelings. In John 15, Jesus talks about, he says, abide in me. And the verb from, there's a verb form of the noun meno, which is to abode, an abode. It's this idea of making your home in God and that God makes his home back again in you. And it sounds great. But how do we do this? How do we do this? And I feel really... Um, unfit to teach on this because this is something I've, I've mostly avoided in my life. And until really recently, it has to, it, it's been something that I've avoided and I've made phenomenal justification to avoid it. I mean, I'm the master at avoiding detaching myself, pulling the noise out of my ears, I can make every excuse, too busy, things got to get done, can't stop. Robert Mulholland calls it the inner act of letting go. Henry Nouwen, um, if you've never read The Way of Jesus, is a phenomenal little read. But he writes it like this, which I think is very honest and hopefully, maybe, enticing. He says, solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it is a place of conversion. The place where the old self dies and the new self is born. The place where the emergence of the new man and the new woman occurs. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Doesn't sound nice, does it? <laughs> Doesn't sound easy. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusion of the false self. Solitude is a place of the great struggle and the great encounter. 
the struggle against the compulsions of the false self, and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. Now, Thomas Merton, who's another deep thinker, he, he, he says this, we often find ourselves with nothing to give others. You ever been there? You're just at a place where you're just like, I have nothing left. I am dry. I am, I, I'm just craving noise to drown out the noise. These places of silence and solitude for some of us, it's like surgery. It's like emotional. It's painful. It's hard. But the healing comes. And if you never tasted it, I want to encourage you to taste it. And some of you are like, this just sounds like a whole bunch of spiritual gobbledygook. Let me just give you a little taste from the world of science. There has been so much that has happened in the field of neuroscience over the last 10, 20 years to corroborate the human desire and the human need to slow our brains down. And we have, as human beings, a very natural primal survival instinct in us. In fact, we also have something that neuroscientists call a negativity bias. We tend to hold on to negative things much more than good things. That's why it's really easy to have a conversation with someone about all the bad stuff happening in the world. And it's very difficult to just go, hey, let's talk about what you're grateful for. What are you grateful for? Uh, There's a guy named Kirk Bingaman, and he wrote um, a real nerdy little book called The Power of Neuroplasticity for Pastoral and Spiritual Care which I consumed over sabbatical. And I just want to encourage you that this isn't just a, oh, this is a Jesus church thing. This is like a real, how your brain and your body and your life work. He says, the evidence from neuroscientific research strongly suggests that by repeated thoughts and actions, we can alter not only the functioning but also the structure of the neural networks in our brains, which means that each time we engage in contemplative prayer and meditation, we are literally rewiring synaptic connections and re-sculpting neural pathways. We are also calming the limbic region of the brain by lowering the activity activity of the amygdala, a, a fundamental prerequisite to feeling less Um, anxious about tomorrow, the daily practice of contemplative prayer and meditation makes minute but long-term, possibly permanent change in our brains. Now that sounds hopeful too. So it turns out what Jesus was doing as a human being, as a fully human, fully God, but yet fully human, human being, was modeling to you and me what it looks like to, in the midst of storms and people needing things from us and and death and all the things that come with life, 
He was modeling to us how we could be non-anxious, calm people. And I want that. I want that for me. I want that for us. What if you were to spend time in silence and solitude before you picked up your phone? What if I did that? What if, what if there were ways that we could do this? Well, just to give you a few little pieces of things to hold on to before we're done. Um, some people have, uh, in, in church traditions, have come up with five movements of silence and solitude. And this isn't a technique. And this isn't linear. These are just kind of five uh, verbs that could help, um, help you slow down. This first one is, is this idea of disconnecting. That we actually have to disconnect from so many things in our lives in order to actually connect. Um, you can you use the word detach, whatever it looks like. Robert Mulholland wrote a great book. I forget to put the title on here, but he says this. A deep inner posture, and this is this idea of detaching or disconnecting. A deep inner posture of joyful release of our life and being to God in absolute trust, without demands, without conditions, without reservations. You ever, I'm going to keep reading this, but do you ever try to pray to God and you're, you're trying to nuance the things you say? Like you're trying to make excuses for how you feel about something? And it's like, why are we trying to posture ourselves? Like God knows how we feel. And so I love when he says this about without demands, without conditions, without reservations. It is neither passive resignation nor fatalistic acquiescence to whatever comes. It is rather a consistent posture of actively turning our whole being to God so that God's presence, purpose, and power can be released through our lives into all situations. And so this is where I, I'm really serious about this idea that following Jesus isn't just a ticket to heaven and then you go about living your life however you see fit. There's something that God wants to do inside of his people to create in them these little outposts of, of calm and, 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 and rest in a world that is just freaking out. And it's not wired into your personality. It's not wired into your DNA. It is something we actually have to lean into and, and discover. Throughout my church history, there's this idea of surrender or death to self or a crucified life. But it's this idea of disconnecting and letting go. Another word might be helpful is this word relaxing, relaxing into God's presence calming your mind, slowly reading scripture. Um, not Your mind is in the past. Some of us, our mind is in the past and thinking about things we said or did or, or, or regrets we have. Or some of our minds are in our futures, thinking about like what will happen here and what do I need to do for this? But this is this idea of relaxing into the present moment. 
this pick a word. You can, you can breathe a word. You can pick a word from scripture. One of my kind of phrases right now in my life as I walk or as I try to be, slow down is it comes from Colossians. Let the peace of Christ rule in your life. And I'll just say that over and over and over. Some of you, a good word might be the word looking. And this is really the heart of prayer in many ways. Looking at God, looking at you in love. Um, Let's just be honest. You and I, we we become what we contemplate. And so if there's certain things on your mind all the time, you are going to become that. And I want to be very honest with you that our news media is so good at making you think about what they just told you and feel what they just told you. And I don't care what news it is. They all, they all go to the same school. <laughs> it's the fear school. And they want you to be agitated for action. They don't want to just inform you but they want you to have a dopamine response. Some of us, we think about our finances a lot or how things are going in the market or how gas prices are, inflation, or that we contemplate that a lot. We become what we contemplate. There's an aspect to this that's about listening Maybe you hear the subtle voice of God or a nudge. But the end goal is love. The end goal is loving. And scripture is a story that takes us from fear to love. Uh, Letting go of the things that we're attached to. Becoming free to love people um, out of uh, peace. Um, And Jesus is our guide to this. And this is why we gather. This is one of the reasons why we gather. To re-engage in the invitation of salvation for us to reaffirm what God is up to, who God is, to recalibrate uh, what we worship. And church, here's what I, as we close, let me just say this. I want the power, the transforming power of Jesus to be made known in this world. And it starts in us. It starts with us. How will it be made known? Well, it's not tends to not be made known if we just participate in all the frustration, fear, and anxiety in the world. It won't be made known that way. And the more and more through a people who quietly and boldly live and act and show up in this world as a calm presence modeling Jesus, I think that gets made known. We named our church Restoration for a reason. We, the definition is the return of something to its former owner, place, or condition. And I think our intent as human beings was to be a people of peace, to be a people of Tov. And so today you've gotten a little church history. You've gotten a little current event stuff. You've gotten some neuroscience And obviously, you've gotten some scripture. Today, I want to appeal to your longing for this, for rest, for completeness, 
I'm not praying that your circumstances become peaceful. I'm praying that you become peaceful in the midst of your circumstances. And I know a lot of you are facing some really hard circumstances. To actively practice counterformation to what this world gives us. And the invitation is to enter the catechumenate, to become a catechumen of Jesus, to start somewhere. And here's the thing, you need a sponsor. Just like the early church, you need a sponsor to walk with you in this. And so that sponsor might be in this room. You just haven't asked him yet. You haven't asked him, hey, how do I do this? How do you do it? Show me how you do it. I want to try Some of you are like, I hope no one asks me because I don't do it. (laughs) But that's what a gathering is about. And so I have a series of questions um, that I'm just going to read and throw on the screen that may get you stirring, okay? How would you describe the noise level, literally or metaphorically, in your life? Is it pretty high? Do your days feel overstimulating or noisy, or are there pockets of quiet and peace? Has there ever been a time in your life when you felt like you operated out of peace and confidence? What did that look like? What appeals to you about building in time for silence and solitude with God into your week? What, if anything, makes you anxious about that? What could get in the way of practicing silence and solitude this week? For some of you, listen, it may be as simple as making a, a commitment right now in the next 24 hours. Like, I'm going to go on a, on a long walk without the headphones, and you are going to face a whole bunch of agitation in your heart as you think about your week ahead and things you got to do and, and sorrows that come up, and, and I get that, and you're going to feel like a failure But just keep doing it. Keep going. Find something to pray. Um, We've put a few resources in the program. The program you can scan around this place. There's a few resources, a couple books, a couple podcasts. I know I said podcasts. I didn't say they were bad. I said sometimes we just listen to too many things. So we're going to wrap this up. 